0: Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com masters.
1: For me, it was one of the most important investments we ever made because you live with your logo forever, or variations of it. And if you get it right, it'll pay off.
0: Hey! My name is Felix, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn why it's important to nail down the branding right from the beginning, especially in the fashion industry, how to work with a creative agency to create your brand identity, and the challenges of balancing a product that needs to have form and function. Today, I'm joined by Oliver Cousins from MAP.cc. That's M-A-A-P.cc. MAP sells premium cycling apparel design in Melbourne, Australia and was started in 2014. Welcome, Oliver.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, excited to have you on. So tell us a little more about the uh, the store and the apparel that you sell.
1: So yeah, as you mentioned, it's um, we're uh, a cycling apparel company based in Melbourne. Um, we focus on the premium end of the scale, and that's something that um, we've been—we well, launched a couple of years ago now, probably November 2014. Um, it's something I started with uh, my business partner Jared, who was a long-term friend of mine, um, and it was really, uh, I guess, born out of um, our passion for the industry and. Um, uh, something we started with really no expectations, but it was, I guess, driven by the the want to create something for ourselves, and that's um, that's essentially how we sort of um, initially started talking about it, and then and then um, you know jumping headfirst into creating something, you know, um, which has resulted in maps. So it's been quite a quite a fun ride along the way.
0: Very cool. So what's uh, what are your backgrounds? Did you guys work in the industry before starting a business in it?
1: Yeah, I was. Um, I had worked in the surf and uh, in streetwear industry, so I worked previously for uh, Globe International, which is a skate shoe company. Um, under their umbrella, they had um, a diverse group of brands, including the Stussy License for Australia, and I was the menswear designer for them. I guess I was with Globe for about 12 years all up and um, finished as the design director. Um, my background is uh, apparel fashion design, so not, not a graphic background, but more sort of a technical um, pattern making, you know, um, construction, that type of thing, which I studied um, down here in Geelong. Jared's background was um, uh, modelling, so he had a lot of um, experience working with various brands, and that's how I, you know, came to know him originally. And um, aside from that, he ran his own uh, building business, so he had sort of that that base knowledge of um, setting up a company. Um, you know the finances accounting etc that that um, essentially I had no experience in so really the the partnership formed pretty well and uh, along the way you know our sort of responsibilities have sort of naturally um, you know assigned themselves to each of us so it's been a really good fit in that in that in that regard so
0: did you jump? Did you both jump into this business right away? Because you mentioned that it was you started without much expectation. So, was this something that you went into full time, or were you running this on the side while you guys both still had some day jobs that you were doing?
1: That's right. Yeah, I was working full time for Globe and um, actually really enjoying what I was doing. I, as I said, I've been there for 12 years and um, really never had. Mm, ambitions of working for myself it wasn't something that I'd, I'd sort of always said to myself that one day I'll do so I was quite happy working um you know for the company and, and working my way up and I had a really good um relationship with the employers um however I guess my interests changed as I grew up and I had kids my interests sort of shifted from surfing to, to cycling you know and that's um I guess what I became passionate about and that's um, again, you know, we we just wanted to do it more from a creative perspective and something that we wanted to, it was a product that we wanted to develop obviously we saw a gap in the market and we were sort of confused as to why no one had really addressed what we were looking for, you know, and that sort of um, that was exciting to us but yeah, it was always started as um, yeah, I, I say a passion project but it was started as a side project, and um, but quickly after launch, or you know, during during the launch process, and as soon as we started to share the brand, we quickly knew that it was going to be something more than that. So um, yeah, essentially, the brand in development took about eight months to prepare um, in terms of our sampling process, um, you know, creating the brand identity. Uh, visiting the factory um, you know refining our product and sort of getting it all ready and that was all done you know on the couch after hours on weekends it was quite um, quite stressful quite a lot of work but it was definitely something that we were excited about and then after launch Jared's um, essentially wound down his building business to dedicate more time to the operations side of things Um, and I continued to work full-time for Globe so it was good because it Um, Didn't put too much pressure on the business to make money, or it meant that the money that we did make could go straight back into the business to pay for the next round of production. So, you know, ultimately it was a a great way to do things because we we sort of just let the business um, self fund and and grow. Um, But I think it wasn't until November last year, so 2015, that I was able to make the decision to uh, to go full time. So. I ended up uh, resigning from my work and um, the company asked me for a long six-month transition period, so which I was happy to do. Again, it was that sort of transition for me, which um, gave me a bit of money on the side as well, but allowed me to work full-time, sorry, part, uh, a couple of days a week on, on MAP um, while they were looking for my replacement and that kind of thing. So it was um, a really great way to do things, I guess. Um, yeah, I had to be upfront and honest with the company when we started Map, and um, they weren't obviously super stoked about it, you know. But they appreciated the honesty, and then um, you know to pay to repay them for that for that trust that they they gave me in, in order um, to start the brand. I, I was happy to give them a six month transition. Um, or six six month notice period, for example. So, you
0: guys weren't direct right competitors, right? Because you were build, you were creating an apparel business in the cycling industry, and it sounded like the company you're working at before was it more like a streetwear brand? Yeah, that's
1: right. Yeah, so not not direct competitors. I guess um, I was seen as a relatively senior member of the um, product team at, at Globe, and mm-hmm. I guess it was more a conflict of time and interest. So, um, as I was in a creative role for them, so essentially. They would want me um, spending my time researching and thinking about the surf industry and Globe products, rather than you know switching off at five o'clock to go and work on your own project. I think that was more um, where they saw the conflict, rather than um, us competing in the same um, segment of the market. So um, at, at the time, I didn't I didn't agree with that, but now running the, you know, having our own business now, I can see, you know, where their concerns are, you know, so, you know, but as I said, it was um, amicable and, uh, you know, I think they were just sort of letting me know what the boundaries were um, at that point and um, I was grateful for for them sort of, um, you know, letting me Sort of um, continue with what I wanted to do, which was which was great. So
0: yeah, I mean, I would say probably like ninety nine percent of entrepreneurs will start off this way. Probably most listeners are in the situation where they are working a day job and they are starting a business on the side after work on the weekends. How did you? You mentioned that there were some boundaries that you're able to establish with your employer. How did you manage this? I guess how did you navigate this potential? Conflict, conflict of interest, where they expected you to, I guess, constantly be thinking creatively about your day jobs brand, but then now you wanted to shift your attention after work hours towards building your own brand. How did you ma- make sure that they were, you know, as okay with it as possible?
1: Yeah, I guess. Look, as I said, I, I didn't really see the conflict. Uh, I, I, I just had to perform. You know, I think um, I was really careful not to. Um, get distracted during work hours I think it was um, it's really hard (laughs) particularly with iPhones and you've got multiple email accounts and people call you know people calling um yeah it was I just had to remain focused on the job at hand with Globe during the day or try to at least and then uh for me it was like um you know when you're at home it's fair game but I think what what really helped was having um jared available during business hours so he as i said he sort of wound down the business, the building company was still consulting with uh, fashion brands as, as you know with with his modeling um projects but that was more flexible so really he became the point of contact during business hours which i think if um we didn't have that if i didn't have that it just would have been too stressful to try and to try and manage both so i think that was that was a huge advantage and then we would um you know, as soon as I got home, I'd just sort of have dinner and, you know, jump on the laptop and, and be able to try and get through what I needed to do. So, look, I guess it was just, um, showing the company that you committed, you know, and, and, um, you know, for me, I was, I was essentially trying to output the same quality of work that I was, mm-hmm. you know, prior to that. So, um, yeah, I guess there's other conflicts. I used to do a lot of travel for, for Globe, um, in terms of sales meetings, um, research trips, buying, you know, looking at um, the market, assessing trends, and that kind of thing. So, I guess um, at that point, you know, they start to get concerned. Am I, you know, walking to every second cycling shop that's in there in London, or am I sort of focused on, um, you know, the task at hand? So, it's it's there's a lot of trust that needs to um, to be there between the employer and employee, and I think, you know, I didn't want to sneak around, I didn't want to be dishonest because I think that puts a lot of stress on you as well and that's not something you need to sort of have to worry about, like you want to just sort of make sure it's on the table and there's no conflict or no sort of um, reason for them to get um, their nose out of joint. So, and look, it wasn't wasn't perfect, they weren't super happy as I said, like they preferred me not to do it but... At the end of the day, it's it is what it is, and I was um, I was really passionate about it, so I was I was going to do it regardless. And I think they understood that, so um, they tried to make it work. And then, you know, ultimately, it didn't didn't work in their favour. It was something that it could have gone either way. It could have been a a, um, a project that you know fizzled out and became nothing, and um, I would still be at Globe and enjoying myself. Or it could have been yeah, as as it was, it it became. Um, uh, success, and um, you know, I, I ended up leaving, leaving the company. So, it, yeah, it could have easily gone the other way.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what made you change your mind? Because again, when you first started, started off, you had no intentions of it, had no expectations. But then, after about a year in business, you made that decision to to leave your day job, your you know, senior position at this this company to pursue your own your own business. What made you change your mind?
1: Oh, look, I mean, as a Pretty much from the launch of the brand, which was November 2014, we knew that it would be a success. Like we, we had really good um, feedback. Um, we had good placement in premium stores that we you know we put on our wish list. Um, we at, at that point I was like, okay, this is this is going to become something for sure. So then it became a case of okay, we need to manage this. Um, obviously, we can't. You know, support two salaries straight off the bat. Um, so then it became a case of, all right, let's try and build this, um, you know, steadily or, or organically, or how, how how we originally planned. And then it wasn't until we sort of looked back and said, okay, well, um, we're in a you know pretty good situation here financially that we can we can justify both of us working full time. And I think that 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 happened. I guess I resigned. Um, probably six months after it was launched. And then, as I said, I had the six months transition. So within a year, it was supporting both of um, Jared and myself. And um, so I think that was, uh, a lot of people try to talk us out of that as well. Cause that was sort of like, you know, no one pays himself a salary in the first year. You're crazy. What are you doing? You know, but you know, it was, it was a case of, we can't do both of these jobs forever. Like it was, it was stressful. And I think if it was um, if it wasn't able to support us within let's say eighteen months or two years, I would have made a choice to probably go back to the full time job, you know, because it's sort of um, it was probably the hardest eighteen months of my life trying to do trying to do both. So, work wise um so yeah I guess we were lucky we were confident that it could support us and um you know we had some good advice we partnered with a good um accountant firm that's been sort of instrumental and guiding us along the way and planning so that was that was important so we we sort of had um you know a bit of sales history or enough sales history that we could forecast off and we had some sort of financial um advice that gave us a bit, bit more confidence so at that point um, yeah, it wasn't – it didn't feel like a risk, you know. And then um, we did it and we haven't looked back since. So that's been lucky. It hasn't been like um, – uh, yeah, it's not something we we'll have sort of look back on and go shit, was that – excuse me <laughs> – was that a bit um, premature? It was just something that the business needed. It needed that – it was growing fast and it needed time spent on it to, um, to, to, to do it properly. So, um, yeah, it wasn't really a, a big decision. It was just um, – Something we jumped into.
0: Can, can you say more about why you you both felt that it wasn't that big of a risk to to jump to to not just start the business, but to invest the time, the money, energy into it? And then, of course, six months later, already both going into a full time. What did you see about the business, the marketplace, that made you realize that this wasn't going to be as large of a risk?
1: Yeah, I guess. Um, I guess we'll just very confident that what we had planned to create wasn't really in the market, you know, or there were obviously other cycling brands, um, some really successful, some new, but um, we had a particular style um, or preference for fit, um, fabric combination, aesthetics, Um, that we felt wasn't really being addressed and um, you know I guess I came into cycling with relatively fresh eyes only having been riding for four or five years and um, you know Jared had a lot more experience in cycling and racing and probably a 12 15 year background in it so when I came across and started riding with him a bit more it's I had sort of the experience from the surfwear industry which is saturated with brands and a lot of a lot of great brands have built sort of um, you know, lifestyle brands out of the industry. You know, like the, the um, you know, there's a lot of good brands in the surf industry. And when I looked at the cycling industry, it was very sports focused, very um, uh, either race or team oriented. And I guess we wanted something that was more than that. We wanted something that would appeal to uh, people that may have come from a surfing or skateboarding background, or may appreciate design or art, or um, not a hundred percent cycling focused you know and that's um and, and that was us we, we love cycling we we're passionate about it but we also liked good design uh we liked fashion we liked um you know other um I guess uh influences so um yeah and it was it was just something that we've we felt as I said we we're really confident that we could create something that sort of maybe wasn't being addressed and if we liked it uh, we knew our friends would like it, um, and it would just snowball from there. So that was the idea. Now, it was it came to the the case of executing it, you know, which was it's it's easy to sort of, uh, I guess, um, determine what the niche is, but then it's uh, you have to go through the process of creating it, and that was that was a lot of work. And um, I think all I guess because we were so confident in the in the space that we from the beginning we we really invested in uh the best that we could do in each aspect so that meant um brand id and logo development you know we used a a creative agency who was run by a friend of ours who was you know what he's actually working for us now but at that point that was a that was a big expense you know we paid you know might have been a couple thousand dollars for logo development and uh from there, we um, we went into our first range in sample um, construction, um, and that that was an expensive process. You know, it was a lot of trial and error. Trial and error, um, multiple rounds of sampling. Uh, we decided we want to make it in Italy, which is renowned as the best uh, country for producing cycling apparel. Um we flew ourselves over to Milan and we drove to the factory, hired a car and were paying for hotels and just to spend time in the factory and really refine what our products were and again that's that was a big investment you know without without having um, any forecast of what our sales would be or no outside investment so it was yeah it was a big leap of faith um, but it all came back to that confidence of knowing that we were going to produce something exciting that people we knew people would like and that wasn't really being addressed in the market. So, look, if it all uh, went up in a, you know, blaze of, uh, you know, or, or you know, it all became a big failure, I guess, you know, we just sort of thought well, at least we've got some nice kit that we can wear ourselves. <laughs> it wasn't going to be a disaster. But, um, yeah, it was all – initially it was all – well, was, even to this day it's all been self-funded and that was um, – Something else that was adding to the stress during that development period. It was sort of a case of like, let's put five grand in each. Have we got five thousand dollars Australian that we can sort of put into this this pool and use that to um, to build this brand, you know? And that was just coming out of our savings or coming off our mortgage, and um, and we sort of thought, yeah, that should be enough. That'll that'll you know that'll get us you know the first sample range and our you know brand ID and that kind of thing. Um, that ran out really quickly, and then it became a case of all right, this month we need another $1,000 in each, you know, and um, that was a bit of an unknown. We didn't know uh, where it would stop. We didn't have a sort of a concrete business plan with all of our costs. You know, there's a lot of unforeseen costs um, that would that would pop up. And, um, you know, Jared hit me up and go, all right, I think, oh, we need another $1,500. So we put $1,500 in each, you know, and that was sort of just coming out of our monthly paychecks. Eventually it got to – I think eighteen thousand dollars each. That was the original investment, and that was over the period of uh, um, eight months. Um, And it was at that point where I was, um, I was like, "This is it. I I have no more money. We have no more money to put into this thing. This is (coughs) is getting a little bit serious now." Um, But then we launched our 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 collection, um, our store, Shopify store. We had product in stores, in wholesale stores. And finally, we are starting to sort of see some, some money come back. So at that point, um, we cut off our uh, investments into the business and we haven't had to um, uh, personally loan the business any money since. So it's sort of, um, you know, as I said, it was, I think a lot of timing, a lot of luck, a lot of whatever you want to call it, but it's sort of, um, we didn't dwell on it too much, I guess. And, um, uh, you know, we're lucky that it sort of um, was well-received. And from there, it's been, um, you know, it's been growing steadily, which has been
0: Yeah, those those uh, initial sales must have been a huge relief for both of you after having for invested sure. 18000 each. So, so you also mentioned, you know, speaking of the numbers, you also mentioned that you partnered with an accounting firm, Early on, was this even before ever investing the money into it? At what point did you decide to look for some, like an accountant, or look for some outside help with uh, to, to, to? I guess look at the numbers, and what were you using them for?
1: Yeah, we look. We um, initially we were using them for advice on our partnership structure. Um, We wanted to get something on paper just to sort of say, look, it's Jared and myself. We set up a partnership. At that point, we hadn't set up a company. Um, so it was just really early on, bare bones advice. Um, I think they were doing it pro bono at that stage because um, they were also working for my brother-in-law's company and my sister, who's an architect, they were also helping her. So it was sort of like we were recommended um, this firm and we went and had a meeting with them and um, and they were just giving us some really basic advice, and then uh, which was actually really helpful at, at the time, just to try and get... Um, get a few things sort of, um, you know, a few of the basics set up, like just, you know, as I said, a partnership agreement, et cetera. And then um, I guess once um, once we launched the business, um, we went back in to see them and we sat down and did uh, a business plan. So it was something more that we worked through with those guys and it just gave us a bit of a structure as to what our goals would be for the next 12 months and um, what our obligations would be. And um, and then they really came into their own probably, um, you know, at the end of the financial year we sort of, you know, rolled that into all that um, tax um, and yeah, eventually um, rolling the partnership over into a company structure and, and setting that up. So, yeah, it started off really sort of basic in, in, in terms of advice and now um, they're taking on a pretty um, – I guess, almost full-time role in terms of, um, uh, you know, our obligations for running a company plus also, you know, um, our payroll, our, you know, GST, um, all the sort of elements, uh, bookkeeping, et cetera, that we do. So it's, um, yeah, they've been a really good asset. Um, As I said, I I had no business experience or no business running, uh, no experience running a business. I've always worked for a company since I was 21, um, so Jared had a lot more knowledge about that than I did and he sort of, uh, as I said, he's sort of managing or uh, managing the finance um, and sales side of the business. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, I would highly recommend, you know, finding a good um, trustworthy um, accountant that can give you advice along the way because it's, um, I think, one of the most time-consuming aspects of, um, of running the business, you know, when you really want to be sort of focusing on, the, the product or the sales or the marketing. So it's nice to get that um, done once and done well and um, set up properly from the beginning so you're not having to set sort of double back and, and change things down the track.
0: When you are looking to partner with somebody Based on your experience, what are some key facts or terms or discussions that you need to have with your partner, with uh, someone that's knowledgeable, like an accountant or a lawyer? What are some key things that you recommend other entrepreneurs pay attention to when they are setting up a, a partnership?
1: Well, it's, it's hard to know, but we've always, um, I guess, sourced our consultants by referral. You know, I think that's probably the most trustworthy way of. Um, of of finding them we're working with um, a lawyer who was recommended by my sister-in-law who's also a lawyer Um, they've been fantastic Um, we're working with a merchandiser planner as a consultant who's you know Mm -hmm. managing our production order process again through through a contact Um, so I guess that's for me that's the uh, I would find it hard to just open up the the, the phone book and and try and source someone's or even you know
0: what about like um with uh, with your co-founder like what if you have a co-founder or someone that you're partnering with uh, for your business um in terms of nailing making sure that you have a solid foundation What were some key facts or key terms that, you know, you don't have to go into details about your particular agreement or arrangement, but for other entrepreneurs out there thinking about partnering with a co-founder, what are some of those key, I guess, facts or terms that they should look into establishing right off the bat?
1: Look, I think um, we just went into it saying it was really, really basic for us. It was 50%, uh, you know, Investment—it's—it's it's equal in every single facet. Let's just keep it really simple. Um, obviously, there was—you know—there was some. Um, you've got to make allowances in the early days when some people feel like they're doing more work than other people due to the restrictions that you know people have on time and their 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 um you know their personal situation and whatnot. But I guess um yeah uh, just yeah keep it keep it honest and keep it simple. I think it's it's um. You, you just have to be able to trust your partner. I, I think that mm-hmm. was the, the thing that was um, no matter what happens, you've got to have um, each other's trust. And I think um, uh, for us it was the most simple way of doing things. Um, and, you know, it helps that we knew each other for 10 years prior to that. But um, I think, you know, having a partner in general, I, I'd highly recommend that. I think particularly when you've got different skill sets, you um, I I really couldn't imagine doing the business solo. It's just not something that would be enjoyable either. It's something that you'd really like to share with someone and, um, you know, sharing the wins, sharing the losses, um, have someone that's not your family, you know, you know, there's only only so much your wife can hear about your business, you know, (laughs) before they start to go a bit crazy. So it's sort of, it is um, really, I think, a really important part of what has made Matt successful is having such a great partnership, but look, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what. Um, other than you know, keeping it, keeping it simple and keeping it even would would be the the, the best thing to 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 set up. You know, um, we we kept it really, as I said, we started as a partnership agreement. It was a one page document that sort of said, you know, it's fifty percent shares each. It's it's very, um, it was very basic, but it was enough for us just to say this is where we stand, and um, who knows where it's going to go from there. Um, so now that it's a bit more complex and we've set up company structure, we're looking at doing a shareholders agreement and that kind of thing. But, um, that's, I think, I guess just take it one step at a time. You don't need, you don't need the, you know, the, the, the in-depth contracts and, uh, you know, overcomplicate things in the beginning. You just need a really solid foundation and a good understanding of what, um, you know, the expectations are. I guess, um, it's really important to clarify, um, the job titles and responsibilities, um, for us in our situation, it sort of naturally fell, um, that way. And we, we did have to, you know, we, we, we clarified it and, um, put it on paper and and made it, um, you know, you, you need to be accountable for certain elements of the business, but, um, really it's been a pretty smooth ride the whole way through. And, um, I guess, you know, a, a real strength of what, what map is, you know, so.
0: Right. So you, you mentioned as well that you knew right, for, you both knew right from the beginning that you wanted to, uh, invest heavily in the 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 branding, the logo design, um, and making sure that you got that right off right off the bat. And this is a, I think a there are two camps on this two two sides that people take on this. One is to not worry so much about the branding and the logo and just worry about executing first. And then of course there's the other side, which which you're on, which is that it was really important to have that nailed down from the beginning. Now, why did you feel that that was uh, an important aspect to figure out and spend the money on, on all of this, you know, prior to having a product, prior to having any sales yet? Why did you find that it was, why did you guys decide that it was important to to nail that down the right way?
1: Yeah, I guess um, that's just my experience through the years of working in the fashion industry. Um you know, it's a brand that you want to wear. Um, it's something you're going to live with for a long time, and it's um, it also represents who we are. Um, you know, if you're creating, um, you know, furniture or auto goods or, you know, it, it probably – uh, is less important but for us um, you know we're a design led business we're producing uh, premium apparel for you know discerning the cyclists essentially and um, uh, you know it's paramount for us that was that was uh, creating helping to create the image of the brand you know and the, and the, um, helping us define the art direction and, and what the brand stands for so um, for me it was one of the most important investments we ever made because um you live with your logo um forever or variations of it. Um and if you get it right, um it'll pay off tenfold down the track. You know, it's I would um you know, even though it's um as I said less important for other other sectors, it's still something I believe is probably the most important thing to invest in. Um so yeah we We were actually at the point where we commissioned uh, an agency um, to design the logo and weren't happy with um, the result. Um, We paid the fee and walked away from it because we we knew it wasn't at the level or didn't really fit the vision that we had for for the brand. So at that point we um, contacted a second agency who happened to be a long-term friend of mine and um, it just clicked from day one. You know, like the – the logo development came naturally it was something that we we loved and we could see the whole brand uh, being built uh, off the back of so um and we've continued to work with uh misha um or mass current the agency since since that date and now um misha is now has now since become the creative director of map and working full-time for us so um yeah it was it was uh it was one of the defining moments of the, you know, the creation of the brand. It also gave us, um, it gave us, as I said, we had a really clear vision of what the brand was going to be. But that that's one thing, and that's that's to, you know, you can determine the niche, but then it's it comes down to creating the brand, and that's. Um, we started with the brand identity and the logo development. And once we had that, it gave us extra confidence um, in what we were going to become, you know, and that was like, well, yeah, I'm even more excited about what this brand is going to be now because I can. it's starting to become real. I can see what it is. I, I like what it is. Um, so it just sort of helps give you motivation. It gives you more motivation to keep investing in it, you know, keep throwing some more money into it if you've got that or keep, um, you know, expanding the collection or, or whatever. So it was really... Yeah, one of those sort of key moments where we just sort of sat back and went, yep, this is this is becoming what we want it to. So which was just really good.
0: Yeah, there's definitely value in being proud of what you're working on and having that great design early on. I can see how motivating that could be to keep you to keep you going. And when you work with a creative agency to 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 design the brand, design the messaging, and all of, and and design a logo, what's involved? Like, t- talk us through how you work. Uh, any tips that you can give on working with a creative agency to make sure that you get what you want out of it at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, um, I, as I said, I was a design director or design manager for, um, for Australia Brands. So I had experience in building uh, briefs and creating, um, you know, essentially mood board or, or um, uh, an idea of what the brand would be with visual references. And um, so I, I had done that. Um, I had that prepared, and um, you know, had had some pretty clear references of what we were looking for. So I think um, uh, if you know, if you don't, if you don't have that um, sort of not ability, but just the, you know, the design ability to put together a um, a visual brief, it's just a case of um, sitting down with with the designer. I guess it's important to know. That they're capable of achieving what you want to um, what you want to achieve. So I would almost treat it like you're interviewing them, you know, in your first meeting. You, you want to find out what they do, what they're good at, what their what their style is. Um, you know, are they great with typography or they great with vector art? You know, what what is um, what can they bring to the table? And I think that's probably the the most important decision is settling on who who will design it. Um, and then it's just a case of working through. Um, you know, what, what your vision is, what your market is, what you're trying to achieve, um, what problems you're trying to solve with creating your brand, etc. and then, um, you know, a good designer like, you know, Misha, who we've, we've been working with um, completely understood it and I think he gave us uh, straight off the bat, gave us six uh, logo ideas, um, all of which could have been used. They were great and, and we knew. Immediately, which one was going to be the one that we that we ran with, so um, so it was a relatively easy process because um, you know the designer or the agency just got it, just understood um, you know having had no cycling experience or limited cycling experience just understood exactly what we were trying to achieve, you know
0: yeah, I think one of the the um issues that that people that are not design oriented that don't have the experience that you have run into when working with a designer is that the boundaries are often kind of crossed, right? Because they're entrepreneurs that have this kind of vision and they sometimes – maybe give, I don't want to say give too much direction, but do too much of the work that you might've been hiring the designer to do. Um, so can you give us, uh, maybe help lay out the boundary between what you should be relying on the designer, what, what expertise you should be relying on them for and where you should be kind of contributing to this process?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I think you're right. I think you let, let the designer, um, Design like let them choose the fonts, let them propose the color palettes, let them uh, you know try and create or or, or give you um, give them a chance to to for them to interpret your ideas. I think that that's important, and then from there you can work um, more closely through the through the process. But um, I mean, they will really draw out of you in the first couple of meetings. What it is you're trying to achieve, so you know as long as you can sort of paint the picture, um, you know of I guess the niche that you're trying to trying to attract or trying to um, uh, capture, um, you know uh, even references of um, styles or products outside the industry that you would like to reference. Um, look as much as much sort of. Um, visual references that you, you think are relevant, but then I'd, I'd sort of step back at that point and just let them have a crack at it. Um, for us, it was, um, we really had, you know, because of my, uh, I guess, long months of thinking about the brand, we sort of really had quite a specific, um, you know, key colour in mind, which is the aqua that's become sort of synonymous with our brand. Um, you know, some really clear, you um, i guess brand key brand identifiers you know that we wanted to run with and i think that sort of helped um helped you know mass current really interpret what we're doing but um so i think yeah look i think a good designer will get that information out of you i don't think i wouldn't overthink it but if you've got some good references and good um you know key points that are important to you then you, you put them on the table at that point you know um so uh yeah, it's 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 not not an easy process. Um I used to work with a, a lot of freelance artists, um, you know, to create T shirt graphics and boardshore graphics and um uh, throughout the years, you know, of creating ranges for, for these brands and um I guess um, you know uh have had great results and poor results. So you're not it, it, The only thing I would say is if you're not really comfortable or really confident in what's being produced, don't settle with it. There's always, um, you know, there's always uh, an opportunity to to, um, improve it, I think. And you'll know when you're you're super happy with the result and then you can just move on and, and be proud of it. I think that's probably the most important thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of marketing the the business and the brand, you mentioned to me that one of the things you guys invest a lot in is original premium creative content, like lifestyle photo shoots, uh, racing. I'm assuming. am assuming uh, is that racing events or what are you doing exactly in the, to create a, well, maybe we'll start there. What are you? What do you guys uh, spend invest your your, your time and your, your capital in to create premium creative content?
1: Yeah, so we um, we do some really great photo shoots. Um, we've done, uh, you know, I guess seasonal campaign shoots that have um, been in some really um, epic locations. You know, for us it's about, um, you know, showing um, the epic side of riding your bike, you know, whether it be in the Italian um or Swiss Alps, you know, or the Italian Dolomites, we've we've um from the beginning we've really tried to uh, present the brand in the most premium way we could, you know, and that was um working with professional photographers from the beginning, you know, again, which is it seemed at the time seems like a, a big expense. Um and really trying to um you know use that that premium content that we've generated ourselves on our own social media accounts. So, um, you know, we uh, probably Instagram, I would probably say is initial was initially the biggest, um, was a really important, I guess, medium for us. And we really wanted to rather than rely on reposts of, um, writers or other people's photos, you know, we wanted to create our own content and really use that as a vehicle to, to show people, um, you know, really well art directed um, product shots or riding shots, essentially. So I think within the first year, we um, we took our photographer and a couple of riders over to Italy and shot our winter campaign, riding around um, in the snow up and up in the mountains over there. You know, again, that was just um, a way for us to really make a splash and launch our first winter collection. Um, and, you know, we had such an amazing response to it, you know, it's been really well received and people appreciate the investment that you're making in the brand and it sort of really, it helps, um, I guess, speed up the, the growth of the brand but also the perception of the brand and, and um, the perception of the size of the brand and, um, and uh, you know, no, for me that's been probably one of the most important strategies that we've done. On the other side of things, you um, yeah, we have. Uh, I mean, one of our biggest focuses is the technical performance of our product. It is it is a high performance product, and um, it's important for us to support the top level of um, you know the racing that's that's around there uh, around the country. So we've created our own race teams in, in the cyclocross. Um, market and also, you know, an amateur race team in in Melbourne that's out racing weekends and, um, you know, with that you're creating products for the team exclusively but then, you you know, you need to document what they're doing, the racing they're doing, the personalities of the team and we've used that as a marketing vehicle as well to sort of show through our social media accounts. Um, We also last year sponsored a continental race team which is sort of – was quite a big financial investment, and um, but again, it, it's it's important to us because um, you know these guys are racing at a really high level and um, using the product for what's what it's intended for. It's a race-oriented product, um, and they're showing the product performing in real life. You know, and that's um, that's social proof um, and it's actual proof that it's 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 good product, and these guys are um you know and these guys are, are enjoying wearing it and it's performing you know i think you can't really um you know it's it's hard to it's hard to sort of manufacture that it's um you know so that that was a key key investment for us um and it's also i mean it's, it's one thing to provide product to these to this race team and to sponsor the team and um it's another thing to actually generate content that um is good enough to to show your customer base so i think a lot of um brands fall down by thinking sponsorship is enough but i think for us it's um uh you know you can't have the sponsorship without the premium content so Mm -hmm. we we again we would then invest in hiring our own photographers or um creating our own video assets and making sure that we're representing um the product in the same way that we'd do it, you know if it was a photo shoot um so I think that that was key um that sponsorship fell over at the end of the year and so we we've sort of decided to take a break for 2017 on the Continental race team but we're looking um again at opportunities for 2018 and um it's it's for us it's um Global lifestyle brand, you know, and I, the analogy is the same as um, the, the big surf players like Quicksilver or Billabong or Hurley, you know, they're, they're global surf wear lifestyle brands and they're selling, um, you know, t shirts and chinos and board shorts to the average punter. Mm-hmm. But um, they're still supporting the top level of the sport and, and you know, they're, they're, they're sponsoring the professionals, they're encouraging the competition and, you know, competitive surfing and, you know it's it's all aspects of cycling that we that we want to be involved with and and um pro racing for us is um a passion of ours and it's it's really important to us so that's something we really want to be involved with from a personal level but also from a a product perspective and making sure that we're producing um products that compete with the best of them in the market you know and that's um for us that's will always be a part of what MAP is about. Right.
0: Now, when you are creating, investing in creating this premium content, putting a lot of time, energy, and funds into it, of course, you want to make sure that the eyeballs, the people, your target customers actually see it. So what's been helpful for you, especially early on, to promote this premium content that you're creating?
1: Yeah, look, um, I mean... Social media has just been amazing for us. It's um, Instagram. Um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's an incredible platform where you can literally, um, you know, uh, see the reactions instant instantaneously from, um, you know, new content or new products or anything the brand's working on. So um, Facebook has become really important for us. It started slower for us. We weren't you know, big Facebook users, but um, that is a really important part of our um, uh, strategy in terms of, uh, I guess, advertising or being able to show demog- or, you know, determine demographics in the market and show them relevant content. Um, we have very rarely or if at all paid for marketing up until or, or ad placement in be it print or um, uh, online. So we're really relying on um, the groundswell of the brand to generate editorial um, with media partners. Um, so visually, it's really been those those two channels. Um, the other thing that's been important is um, media partners and, and, I guess, collaborations. You know, for us... Um, there was something we wanted to do from day one was collaborate with uh, like-minded brands that I guess then open up um, their audience to what MAP is all about. So, uh, initially, we did a collaboration with uh, a big Australian cycling media blog called Cycling Tips, and that was that was fantastic. That um, with the collaboration that we jointly sold, we then had um, you know some really solid free editorial through their through their channels, and um, that really you know drove a lot of traffic to the site, which really established um, good backlinks and also good traffic. What
0: was the collaboration?
1: Um, It was just a kit design. So it was um, a pair of socks, a bib short and a jersey that was designed collaboratively with the the team at Cycling Tips Um, and, yeah, launched on both of our sites and then jointly sold. So – and it sold out really quickly and then we did a second run and, um, you know, it was um, something that's, um, uh, you know, is still – some of um, people's favorite kit designs that were done up until now are still that collaboration. So we put a lot of effort into creating it or making it good. And at that point, cycling tips had very rarely done a collaboration. So it made it made a you know a lot of waves in the industry and gave us a lot of um, free press essentially. You know, and uh, you know, it, it ended up actually being a, a, a good money maker for us as well because we ended up selling through the kits really well. So it was a great that was a great example of. Um, uh, I guess, giving MAP some credibility in the, in the, in the space because Cycling Tips were a credible media um, blog. And, um, yeah, it was one of our first sort of brand partnerships that we did. We moved on to create um, a shoe with a, a Swiss company called Suples, which has been really great um and we also developed um, a phone a waterproof phone wallet with an Australian company called bellroy which was which was also mm-hmm. great so bellroy was the first company that we worked with that was outside of the cycling space and they've got a really big following globally and um, that was a premium uh, premium product that really sort of um, allowed customers to take map with them off the bike so it was the first product that we really produced that um was not designed for riding you know it was well it's designed for riding but it's just something that you could use um off the bike as well as on the bike so it was a really good um uh you know premium piece for us and that also i guess gave us a lot of um awareness through bellroy's um you know database which was good
0: Mm-hmm. And I want to talk a little bit about the manufacturing of a product like this because like you were saying it's not just a well-designed product based on the way it looks, but then also has a lot of uh, technical details that go into it for performance reasons. What are some of the challenges of balancing these two aspects of a product, uh, the design and, and of course, the, the performance side of it?
1: I guess for us, um, we start with the technical aspect of the product. So, um, you know, we, we, that for us is the, the basis of what the range is about. So we, we look at what, what the problem is and then how to solve it. So, for example, um, we're looking at uh, a deep winter jacket, um, you know, what, what are all the things that we need um, that that garment to provide and we build it from the ground up. So that's that, that, that becomes a case of, you know, the trips to the factory in Italy, sourcing materials, building the fit samples, refining the fit samples, um, you know, really signing off on the the construction and the function of the the piece. Um, And then once that is confirmed, then we look at um, the visual design of the garment. And our brand is quite graphic-driven. So essentially we have all of our pieces um, our blocks ready our bib shorts our new jersey fits our um you know our, our lightweight jackets heavyweight jackets our beanies etc and then we once they're all confirmed we'll come back through and we'll design um you know the winter 17 collection for example on top of those templates so it's sort of a, it's a two-stage process for us yeah we're not really uh thinking about the graphics at that point or the you know um uh, yeah so it's, it's it works in a couple of ways a couple of stages.
0: Mm, so you start with the, the technical, the performance side first always, and then later on yeah. the design aspects y- yeah, later. Yeah, because mm.
1: that's right. Because you're um, with certain garments, you know, you, you, you've got – we do four seasons a year. Um, you know, you've got timelines, you've got ideas – and sometimes that, that, those ideas aren't refined enough to be uh, ready by the timeline so you, you can't really force something into collection like we, particularly if we're we're testing uh, products or developing new fits you know sometimes you know it can be a season it's ready but more often than not, it's two or three seasons down the track that it is ready. So you're really, um, you know, you're really sort of working further out than what you would would be if it was just a t-shirt or a hoodie or a pair of jeans. You know, you're working, you know, um, a couple of seasons out more than what you normally would. So um, once they're ready, then they then they become um, relevant to that next season. So you don't want to really sort of design the graphics out too far out. You know, you want to keep that. Yeah, keep your colour palettes and your graphics um, relevant to the season that you're yeah. working on, whereas the blocks and the fabric and the performance of the garment can be um, uh, refined uh, over a longer period. So, yeah, right. it has to become a two-stage process. A lot of our, I should say, a lot of our um, styles, once we have, have them confirmed, you know, a great jersey fit that we run, um, you know, that, that may run. We're still running the, the original jersey fit that we designed um, for the launch of the brand, you know, so... Um, it just shows if you get it right and uh, it's well liked, it, it has a long lifespan as well. So, you really do want to make sure that um, you're putting the effort into the development of the product ahead of launch so you can, um, you know, it can be something that sort of lives, lives with you for a long time.
0: Makes sense. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Oliver. MAP.cc is the website, maap.cc Where do you want to see MAP this time next year?
1: I'd like to see it uh, in more countries across the world. I think um, we're really focusing on uh, Europe and the USA at the moment. Um, we're, we're talking about opening up a second warehouse uh, somewhere in Europe this year, which is a big goal for us. So for me it would be uh, just allowing more people across the globe to be able to get into the brand um, you know uh, without implications of tax and, and duties and BAT, et cetera. So for me that would be the goal you know just to make it more accessible for everybody.
0: I love it. Thanks again, Oliver.
1: Cheers, Felix. Thanks,
0: mate. Here's a sneak peek of what's in store for the next Shopify Masters episode.
1: Now, generally, that multiple is somewhere between 20x and 30x. So if it's doing $10,000 a month in profit, it's going to fall somewhere between $200 and maybe three three hundred $320,000 in value.
0: Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.